Uh, the scripture this morning as we continue in our Thriving in Relationships series um, is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 16. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Thanks, Cindy. Would it be right if we prayed uh, starting out here today? I'm actually going to shift gears in the introduction and have a little bit of fun, but first I thought we might pray for, for Syria and all that's going on over there. For those of you guys who are uh, watching in your news feed, uh, it's, it's getting, you know, heated up over there, um, and so we want to be praying for, for them, and, and, and then we can pray and get into the Word today. Father, uh, our hearts um, are over there uh, today. Our, 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 uh, our spirit is there. Would you, would you be there with them? In Syria, would you protect lives? Would you pl please move in ways that brings peace, and not just short-term peace, and not peace that just kind of covers over things, but uh, peace on an ongoing uh, and, and, with, and bringing good resolution. Father, we pray for all the Syrians uh, who have been displaced by this, the millions and millions who've been displaced by this. Um, would you be with them? Would you protect them? Would you provide for them? Lord, would you be with the churches, the many churches that are serving them? Even one church that we have just uh, had some conversations with, potentially us being involved with, uh, working with the refugees over there in Europe. Lord, would you be with them, with, with, the, with the gospel light pour into the darkness? And as, we're, as, as a church, would you show us how we might tangibly serve and love? Give us vision and wisdom even there. Um, but Lord, now as we turn to uh, the topic at hand, the scripture at hand, uh, would you give us each your spirit? Uh, Lord, we long to uh, have you teach us today, not me, not the preacher, uh, but, but you, the one whose word is living and active. So we, we commit this time to you and uh, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so we're continuing our Thriving in Relationship series, as Cindy mentioned. Um, have you guys ever heard the saying, never judge a book by its cover? You know, if we were to take that literally, I think there are plenty of books you can go ahead and judge by the cover. Uh, to go ahead and have a little bit of fun with this, here's one I found. Uh, You're Sharp Enough to Be Your Own Surgeon is a book I found. This is a, these are all legit books that you can find on Amazon that I'm not necessarily recommending. This one, You're Sharp Enough to Be Your Own Surgeon, actually has five stars currently there. It may have just one reviewer, but uh, it, it's there. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Pooh gets stuck. Sorry for going potty humor on you, but I remember reading this as a kid. Like, I, just, I never crossed my mind. Right? I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys read that. It's like, okay. Um, here's another one. Microwaving for one. Uh, that picture's coming up there. Uh, if you can't see in the back, yes, that's a picture of a glass of wine in front of her. In front of her, I don't know, Swanson's Dinner? I, I, don't, I don't know. Microwaving for one. Uh, the next one is uh, The Manly Art of Knitting. I'm not making... These are real books, okay? Um, another one here. I thought this was interesting. This one's just kind of like, what are they going for with this? Um, Mommy, why is there a server in my house? 
the, I can't see the subtitle. I didn't write it in my notes, but it says something. Oh, yeah, helping your child understand the stay-at-home server, which I, I, really, I don't know what's going on there. Here's my absolute favor. Here's my absolute favorite. Anybody can be cool, but awesome takes practice. <laughs> These are real books. Um, so anyways, uh, you know, we're having fun with that. Uh, here, actually, I, wanted to, I share all that to have a little bit of fun, but also to share my absolute favorite uh, cover book. It's not, it's not silly. It's not funny. Um, I just feel like it's a powerful title that just captures so much in only two words. It's actually written by a family friend, but the book is called Love Does. Isn't that a great title? Doesn't that convey just so much? Love does. Love is not passive. It's active. Love is not reactive. It's proactive. Um, today, as we continue our series, uh, Thriving in Relationship, looking at the timeless, practical wisdom of the Bible that, that the Bible has to share in terms of strengthening relationships that we're in um, or he, bringing healing to relationships that um, might need uh, healing, uh, we turn now to the important relationship quality of intentionality. Intentionality. Uh, we live in a very fast-paced culture, do we not? The Silicon Valley, it's so easy to become overwhelmed by all the things going on in our life. Therefore, it's just absolutely vital, absolutely vital that we get the important things down. And one of those absolutely critical and important things is relationships. We've got to be intentional about it. Um, to kind of get into the Scripture text today, we are looking at Romans 12, okay? That's what we have in front of us. What is the book of Romans? Who wrote it? It was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, the first church planter or church startup guy uh, there was. He was. Paul would go around the Mediterranean Sea and parts of uh, Asia there and then, and then into uh, Europe, starting up churches everywhere he went. And eventually, over time, those churches that he started, started their own churches. There's this multiplication process, this, this movement that is still happening today. I mean, current started just a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, you know, it's still happening today. That church in Rome that he was writing to for this letter was one of those churches. He had never been to Rome before, but he, he, so he didn't know these guys personally, but he, he did know them in terms of the common faith, and he was thinking about them in terms of the influence that Rome had. Rome was kind of a big deal back then, I think we all know. Um, it makes me also think about, for instance, the Silicon Valley being as influential as it is here. But in not knowing these guys, he kind of take, he takes a, a kind of a broad stroke approach. He's not dealing with any like specific problem in the church, which he does in a lot of his other letters that he writes. He's just kind of talking more broadly. And what the book of Romans is, is a treatise on the gospel, a treatise on the good news of Jesus. It's hitting all the major points, frankly, of the entire Bible. In fact, there's a lot of scholars who argue that, you know, if we were to somehow lose all of the books in the Bible except for one, it would be great if we could keep Romans. I personally would want one of the books of, uh, on Jesus' life, but you can see what they're getting. The first few chapters, uh, the first uh, chapters one through seven, deal with the problem of sin, okay? That's kind of higher level. We're not going to get deep dive into it, but just to understand the context. It's, it, Paul is talking about the problem of sin in terms of where, where the gospel falls into that. The problem of sin. And what is sin? Well, sin, we've talked about this, is the ancient you know, Greek archery term for missing the mark is what it literally means. The, the word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. Um, but if you want to think about it a little bit more colloquially, you could think about that middle letter of the word sin. It's kind of like, I want my way. 
You know, instead of God's best for us, instead of the things that he, he calls us into that would be best for us, best for the relationships around us, we tend to choose more often than we probably care to admit our own way. And as a result of that, we, we, we feel it. We, we're, we're hurt by that. We hurt ourselves. We hurt others around us. And we hurt our relationship with God for that matter. And so Paul starts in the very first few chapters talking about to this church, guys, don't just think sin exists in those other people. Which isn't that a great message to the church? I mean, thinking about why a lot of people leave the church today in, in the U.S. Actually, that's the top reason, uh, hypocrisy. Uh, don't just think of sins in terms of those people, church. You need to realize sin is inside you guys. By the time he gets to chapter 3, he says it this way, for everyone falls short. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. We are all desperately sinful is how he says it. The heart is desperately wicked. Um, by the time he gets to chapter 7, he's actually getting very personal about it. Here's Paul, this guy who after he became a follower of Jesus for years and years, decades, every ounce of his body, every moment in his life was bent towards loving other people. I mean, 24-7, this guy was just loving other people. It's kind of like a Mother Teresa type guy, okay? I mean, just you would just think, this guy, if there's somebody who's got this figured out, it's Paul. And yet, by the time he gets to chapter 7, he says, and this sin problem is in, inside me, such that the things I want to do, I don't really do those things. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, yeah, I, just, I, I do those things. I remember when I first read the book of Romans the first time uh, through, and I got to that chapter, I got to those words, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's me really resonate with that. He concludes the chapter, chapter 7, by saying, who then will save me? Who then will, will solve this problem? Which begins chapter 8. Uh, ch- chapter 8 and then through chapter 11 of the book of Romans is really about the solution, the gospel promise. The climax of the whole Bible is essentially recorded in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who've received what God has done and, and what Jesus did on the cross, we believe on His name and we, we, we choose to follow Him and, and serve Him, but even when we can't do that, we receive forgiveness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Him. Now, real quickly, again, this is not a study on the book of Romans, Romans 8 for that matter, but an objection sometimes people will have to that is, why couldn't God have just, you know, snapped His fingers and pardoned everything? Why couldn't He have just said, hey, let's just, we don't need to forgive sins, let's just, everything's forgiven, done. The problem with that is we wouldn't really want a God that, that did that because the whole idea of Jesus going to the cross is God is 100% about righting every wrong. He wants to bring reconciliation and restoration to everything, including our relationships. And so in going to the cross, God was fulfilling justice in putting everything into Jesus that we would deserve. So He is just, but He's also loving and gracious in that He gives us His forgiveness when we believe in Him. That's the gospel. That's what everything leads up to. That's what this big book of Romans is all about. Chapters 1 through 11, therefore, uh, Paul is talking theology. And now as we enter into chapter 12, Paul pivots, verse 1, and he starts to get into more practical. So if, if, if the first few chapters are theological, now he's getting practical. And a reason why I think that's important is real, really high up on the list, top on his list, he's saying, guys, if you understand what God has done for you, what, what he offers you, as you consider it over, wherever you're at spiritually, if you understand this, then this must mean for our relationships this. And what does he say? In a nutshell, we see in our text, love must be intentional. It must be intentional. 
Um, you heard the list that Cindy read for us. It was imperative after imperative after imperative. Honor one another. Be patient. Be joyful. Uh, uh, don't, um, don't be lacking in this way, in that way. Share. Bless. Rejoice. Mourn. Don't be proud. Imperative after imperative after imperative. Love must be intentional. In fact, we actually lose some of the force of what Paul is saying. As strong as this is, do these things. It's actually even stronger in the original language. For instance, when he says, be patient in affliction, one biblical scholar says this word patient may give a wrong impression. Paul's word denotes not a passive putting up with things, but an active, steadfast endurance tends to make sense when you're thinking about affliction. Well, just be patient about it. He's talking about steadfast endurance. And then he says, be faithful in prayer. Another Bible scholar said this, faithful is perhaps not forceful enough for the word Paul uses. The strong word suggests not only the constancy with which we are to pray, but the effort that is needed to maintain a habit so much above nature. Love must be intentional. Probably most pointedly, as we see in verse 10, which we'll, we'll pause for a moment to consider, be devoted, devoted, devoted to one another in love, in relationship. What are you devoted to? Career? The Warriors? I'm devoted to the Warriors. It was a great game. First start of the playoffs. We were told that the injuries were going to keep us down. Mm-mm. Sorry, I'm proving my point. I am devoted to the Warriors. Sorry. Um, are you devoted to Netflix, Facebook? Uh, Paul's saying if we're going to be devoted to something, we need to be devoted to relationships. Think about, you know, for instance, when, when we're dating, right? When we're dating, if, if, you know, when you're dating, you're trying everything you can to pursue a relationship. So you're very intentional about things, right? But then you get married, and then you stay married for a little bit. You have to keep, you have to keep being intentional, don't you? Um, if anything, they've done studies and they found that the, uh, one of the common, denominator, common denominators for healthy marriages is when the, spouse or, uh, the spouses are asking, what can I be doing to make my wife or husband's day a little bit better? Uh, we need to be intentional about it. But of course, here Paul is more, even more specifically talking in this church, bro- specifically, broadly speaking, he's talking about relationships that we need. We need to be devotional for, uh, devoted to each other in love. And you know what's interesting is actually these, in this sentence, there's a, it's very powerful, very rich wording. He's actually using two family words. The word for devoted um, is one word. It's actually a, lo- a word for love specifically that, uh, uh, for, for a family, uh, affection that, that families have towards each other, typically a love of a parent for a child. And the other word that's translated love specifically in the Greek is Philadelphia, which you guys, of course, hear Philadelphia in, which is brotherly love, sibling love. Uh, he's using family words, which let me just pause for a second. You're like, okay, getting into all the Greek and all that, whatever. This is actually really historically significant. This was revolutionary in terms of history. There were very few groups, there's very few groups that called each other brother and sister, the Jews being one of those. Very few that did, but none of those groups even considered this thought of brotherly love. Now, you'll hear that in some of the movies, especially if there's like a gospel choir, or maybe you've come from a culture where people, hey, brother John or sister Jane. Um, you know, you, you've heard that, you know that culture. This idea of brotherly love is, was absolutely revolutionary then, and it's absolutely revolutionary, radical today. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Jesus had talked a lot about love. What do you mean new? He was establishing a new family, church community that we need to love. I've, ex- I've had the, the privilege of experiencing this dynamic 
um, around, around the world where, and I wonder if some of you have experienced this, is when you go into a new culture and maybe the language isn't quite there. You can't connect. You can't, you know, make a connection in terms of, like, the language. But somehow, if you're a Christ follower, you, you meet someone else, there's a, there's a relationship that's already in place when you get to know that person that's immediate in the family. I've experienced that all over the world, Latin America, Central Asia, East Asia. Um, there's just something, that's something I experienced. It's something that's, that's, that's present here in this current family. Many of you guys are my family. You know, I come from a family of, of five brothers and sisters, all of whom I'm very close to and I love dearly. Um, but in this season, my goodness, there's, uh, there's many of you that are closer to me in this regard is what, what Paul is talking about um, because we are family. I love the idea of family, relationships, sister, it's, it's sister-brother relationship because it's such a good illustration to understand that we have to be there for each other come high water or low uh, warts and all, because your sibling can't run from you, right, when you get into a little like, tiffy. Um, you know, Caleb and Maddie, they, they get into it with each other, but it's not like Caleb's going to be like, I'm out of here. His out of here is like 10 feet to the other room. But then I see beautiful things of them like the next day, even though they got into a little tiffy, having just a wonderful, deep relationship that I, as a dad, I'm just like, okay, I know this is natural, but this is miraculous. This is pretty cool. Um, that's what Paul's talking about here. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens is if we are devoted to one another. We have to be intentional. Like even as a church, we try our best to kind of offer uh, as many ways to, to, for, for you guys to jump in to the extent you feel comfortable. But that's the goal. But we can't obviously make you, you know, it's got to be something that we are devoted to each other. Um, I want to share something with you. There's, there's plenty of weeks. For instance, take current groups, our, our kind of small groups as an example. There are plenty of weeks. I'm, I get home at night, and I'm tired, and it's been a long day, and I haven't had the chance to eat or whatever it might be, and I'm sitting there like, oh, I'm not sure I want to go to current group tonight. I'm a pastor. I'm just getting this off my chest. But I go, and when I go, I never regret it. This last week, it was just an amazing conversation. These guys who were there, these brothers who were there, just opening up, sharing, just different things, you know, not getting all weird about it, just, but just sharing kind of where they're at at like a level. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think if I say not getting weird about it because sometimes when I, if I were sitting in your seat and I had never experienced it before, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? No, we're just sharing life. We do open the Bible. We talk about it. But it's all just I leave like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. These are brothers. And if these guys don't show up, or if I don't show up, if we're not devoted to each other in that sense, it's not going to happen. Um, we got to be devoted to it. Real quickly, look at verse 11. Never be lacking. I don't, I don't think it's going to be on the board. I'm sorry. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, that's not like a sentence that we'll say, often spiritual fervor. Like, what's he saying? Um, actually, the literal translation behind what Paul is saying is don't be lazy about the faith. Um, don't be lazy about it. Make it a priority. Be intentional about it. Um, hey, you know, by the way, if you have big questions that you're asking, spiritual questions you're being worked through, you know, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, ask those questions. Can you ask those questions? Who can you ask those questions of in a, in a safe environment and work through those things? I think that's all kind of what Paul is getting at, but we have to be intentional. We have to go for it. We have to be proactive. Second thought, intentional love should fit into life's natural rhythms. Look at verses 12 and 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. What a beautiful picture of life's natural rhythms. Paul's being real here, isn't he? He's saying, guys, there's going to be time, as unfortunate as it is, there's going to be times when affliction arise. Afflictions arise. There's going to be time where you're going to be mourning, as there will be times when you are rejoicing. So be intentional with those natural rhythms of life. I have found this verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who, uh, who, who mourn, as it, to be one of the most practical verses in the Bible. Like, oh my goodness, it's so practical. Um, because it's saying, for instance, when you talk about mourn with those who mourn, times of tragedy are bound to come. But woe to us if we are going through them or they arise and we don't have community alongside us to help us weather them. To come alongside, um, we need people to come alongside us. But if, if we are coming to the Silicon Valley, we have our head, our nose to the ground, we're working our tail off, but we are neglecting relationships up comes a crisis, which, which unfortunately they come up, we can be off flailing on our own. We can be off drowning. Don't let that happen to you. Um, we need this relationship. And, and then for, uh, we need to be intentional in, in, the natural, in our natural uh, life rhythms. Um, if you are in relationships, this is incredibly practical in terms of helping people in the morning. I mean, I've had a number of people come up to me as a pastor and say, hey, I don't know how to help my friend who's going through this crisis. Um, often it'll be said, I don't know what to say. Um, if you're going through a crisis, uh, this verse will help you. Just mourn with those who mourn. Oftentimes you don't need to say anything. In fact, sometimes saying something is steps backwards. What we need to do is go there, be with them, maybe extend a hug, shed a tear, um, but, but be with them. Even as we're faithful in prayer, patient in affliction, just being there is huge. But we also need to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, do you have, are, you, are you in relationships with, that folks can be celebrating with you, life's joys? That, to me, seems to be the one that we tend to more often than not take for granted. I think, ah, okay, I probably want someone by me, heaven forbid, if I go through a tragedy. But celebrating high, life's highs, I'm, we need that. Um, it's also interesting, too, I was reading, reading up on this, what the, the, the biblical scholars tend to think, and actually there's, there's a, in large part, consensus that folks think of, of the two, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice, the rejoicing with those who rejoice is the harder. I was sitting there like, what? Like, mourning seems to be harder. One guy, he was so, you know, bla- you know just, just so f- frank with his talking about it. like, anybody with a soul can mourn with those who mourn, which I, I disagree with a little bit. It's hard to mourn, okay? but I see where he was going. He said, he said, but here's the thing with rejoicing. Envy can keep us from rejoicing. We can, you know, if that person is experiencing something and we're having a hard day, mm, I'm not sure. Good job. Versus, that's exciting. That's exciting. Man. Um, we need folks to rejoice with. Um, here's how the one guy said it. We're not just, oh, excuse me, um, to rejoice with others requires a very noble soul so as not to keep from envying, but even to feel pleasure with the person who is in esteem. Um, being intentional means finding a way to fit it into our natural life's rhythms. Last little verse here on that thought is verse 13, where he just says, practice 
hospitality. Now, again, practice hospitality is an interesting one. Um, um, Translators write it that way because it sounds more natural in our language, but what he's literally saying is pursue hospitality. Get after it. Uh, Pursue it. Um, We're not just to receive the visitor or the stranger when they come to us, but actually to inquire after and look after them, to pursue them and search them out everywhere lest maybe somewhere they may be left alone or uncared for. Um, Guys, there's hardly a week that goes by, and I wonder if this is the same for you, that I don't hear of somebody here living in the Silicon Valley who who will express the thought, man, I'm lonely. I mean, maybe it won't come out exactly like that, but there's a lot of folks lonely here because we're grinding hard. We're we're going after it, but relationships, they, they fall by the wayside. There's hardly a week that goes by, which means... If you're here, by the way, and that's you, welcome. We want to extend community to you. But it means if you are in community church, our calling is, is to minister to them, to practice hospitality, to pursue it. They're sitting right next to us at work. They're living right next to us in the neighborhood. One of the things I love is how it, it, it makes me so happy. Like our staff families are incredibly, incredibly hospitable. I mean, I'm always hearing about folks going over their house, and like, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, in our family, the one who's really leading the charge in terms of pursuing hospitality is Cindy, um, and I'm just she's helping me do it, even as I more more or less actually ride her coattails. Um, but she's always thinking, "Hey, can we have so and so together?" And again, there I'm on the couch, like, "Man, this has been a we've had a lot of nights this week." You can now hear that this text has been convicting me. Okay, I'm bringing you into it. So I've been thinking about so and so. Oh, okay, all right, yeah, that sounds good. Um, and I think we should have others from current over as well. Uh, so that so they can get connected more into community. I've just, I've just been thinking about them, and then we'll have dinner. And at the end of that dinner, it's like, oh my goodness, that was that was more than worthwhile. And here Cindy is, by the way, working more than more than full time hours for Current, doing consulting work on the side here and there, and being primary parent at home. And yet she's constantly thinking about how can we help, how can we love others, how can we pursue hospitality. Um, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't really have a place I can bring people over to. I'm not sure about that. How do I practice hospitality? There's any number of ways, right? I mean, my favorite is taking people out to lunch or coffee if that works for you. Everybody's got to eat. You know, everybody's got to eat. You know, go to the cafeteria or whatever. You guys find your own, find your own rhythm. I know there is an informal uh, Google group, uh, lunch group that meets every uh, month or so. Um, I think Grace Kim uh, oversees that. If you'd like me to get connected, uh, connect you to her. Uh, I'm sure she'd love to talk to you. You can see me afterwards. Um, but there's different ways. You ask somebody to, out to coffee. I give you permission. Go for it. Um, in a, international, uh, excuse me, international. Intentional love is finally uh, a choice of the mind and the heart. Okay, it's a choice of the mind and the heart. Verse 16 shows both of these. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. The first part is it's love. Intentional love is 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 a matter of 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 choice of mind. Live in harmony with one another is literally, is literally the words, think the same thing towards each other. Kind of clunky, but that's what he's saying. Think the same things. Elsewhere, Paul writes to other churches, he says the same kind of thought. Be of the same mind or live in agreement. That doesn't mean drop your convictions, you know, don't have your own feelings or, or thoughts or whatever, but, but it does mean we, got to, we have to move towards each other in love. And by the way, the context of all this, again, is, is Romans. Rome, the first 12 chapters, 
Paul is saying, hey, this is what God's doing. These are the major things. Focus on these things. Understand these things. And, and the tertiary stuff, move towards each other. When I had the privilege of, of minister, uh, uh, being a pastor, an assistant pastor at a church in Shanghai, of all places, a congregation of about 3,000 people. There's about 85 nations in representation. It's really fun. It's really hard, but it's really beautiful. 85 different nations of Christians or folks looking into the faith, trying to come together and figure it out. We have enough trouble in one nation figuring out coming together as a church. You can imagine all the issues and stuff that came up, and yet it was one of the most hard but beautiful experiences. It was a beautiful experience. We've got to move towards being of one mind, uh, uh, living in harmony with each other. It's a a choice of, of the mind. Um, sometimes it'll be hard, but again, like brothers and sisters, we're, we're, we're committed. We don't just bug out when it's, it's a little off here or there. Uh, and then it has to be a, not just a choice of the mind, but a, a choice of the heart. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I love those words. Powerful words. Paul is saying reject classism. Reject some sort of social hierarchy, but be willing to associate with people, if you're in a high position, that are in the lowly positions. Um, For everyone is made in God's image. Everyone is deeply, infinitely loved by God equally. So what might this look like for us? I have a buddy uh, who's been at the same job, at the same uh, company, not same job, same company for uh, 20 years here in the Silicon Valley, down in San Jose, um, and when he first started there, he was the lowly intern, and he wasn't even sure that that position was going to ma- materialize into full-time, uh, more full-time position, but it eventually did, and then he was the lowly engineer for a number of years, and then little by little, year after year, he started getting promoted, promoted, he got any number of promotions. Now he's the director of operations of a, of a major company here in Silicon Valley, um, but he has the reputation at this company for being available to anyone at any time. The reason I know this is I played basketball with him. This was back when, you know, my body was working a little bit better. I played basketball with him, and he had a group of guys on his team who were from all levels of the corporate ladder on, on his team, um, many of whom were actually really high as he was, but not as high as he, because he's the man, you know. But, he, but these guys were sharing with me, like, yeah, this guy, he's, he's all about being accepted and, just, and giving his time to people, and not just the interns, but the custodial staff. I asked my buddy about this, like, what's, what's going on? Like, what, what, t- tell me about this. He said, yeah, he said, I, I do remember when I was the lonely intern and nobody gave me the time of day to, like, you know. And so th- that's part of it. He said, but really, it really comes back to the faith. This is what God calls us to do in our relationships. You know, to use our wording today, to be intentional, to, to be thinking about those no matter where they are in terms of, of their status or their step on the corporate letter. That's cultural. That, that's a, a, a countercultural, wouldn't you say? I mean, I think as a, as, a, as a culture, we esteem, you know, loving those in the lowly positions, but in terms of practicing that, I'm not sure we do it so much. But as Christ followers, Paul is saying, you've got to lead out in this. Why? Why could Paul get to this place in his letter and give imperative after imperative after imperative? It's, of course, because this is what God first did for us. This whole list, you look at all these imperatives, that's what Jesus came to do for us. Everything on this list. To mourn with those who mourn. Jesus would show up, and if you're reading the story about him, somebody would come up to him to ask for healing, and you know he's getting ready to heal that person, and yet what would he do? He would sit there and sit in it with them for a moment. The guy who was 
who had been bleeding for, for 12 years. He just wants to sit and understand her story. One guy, he's, he's getting ready to raise to life. Everybody else weeping. You know he's getting ready to raise the, the guy to life. He says he's getting ready to raise the guy to life. But what does he do before he raises that guy to life? He weeps. He's mourning. He's being there. Jesus was devoted to us. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. His name is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. He left everything to be with us. And all of these imperatives, he lived out perfectly. Um, Why? So that we can receive that, not only from him, which is the gospel, but from each other, even as we extend it to others. You guys know that book, um, uh, Seven Highly... The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You guys know that book? Stephen Covey, I think is the name. Like about a decade ago, that was like all the rage. Um, he kind of, you know, the revolutionary thought in that book was we need to be proactive in our scheduling. You know, we need to be proactive in our work and our efficiency. Don't be reactive, which is what so much of us do in life. Let's be proactive about it. And, and that's a great thought. It's, it's really helpful in work. How much more so do we need to be proactive? We need to be at it. We need to be intentional when it comes to relationships. It's not going to just happen. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to be devoted. But figure out the life's rhythms to it, and where we can, we'll have to make the choice. Look, we're, again, we're trying to make this we, as a church. We want to try to make this as available as we can. Get on a serve team, boy. We, serve teams are fun, not just because we're getting to you know put stuff up and have fun doing that, but it's but also we get to hang out and get to know each other, rub shoulders with each other, get in a, a current group. There's opportunities to do that. You can come to our This Is Current Lunch afterwards and hear more about that. Uh, Take somebody out to coffee, whatever it might mean. Uh, Open up your apartment, your house. Let's be intentional, church, especially in the Silicon Valley where the fact of the matter is we know this tends to be lacking. We know this tends to be neglected. But especially if you've experienced this, let's extend that to those that God has put into our lives. Let's pray. Father, as is true of all Scripture, uh, it it all points to you. I mean, there's some helpful things for us to consider, and that's, of course, what we are focusing on today. But ultimately, we realize that this this beautiful list of wonderful relationship qualities is what you did for us, that you were intentional with us, that you loved us, that we could love you, or we don't deserve it. And yet, we're so thankful for it. Um, Father, would you help us as a church... um, Extend to others what, other, what you have first extended to us. Um, would you help us to do that as a, as a church corporately? Would you also help us to do that as individuals, as families? Lord, we are busy. You know that. And you were, we're over, we can get overwhelmed by things. But would you help us to see with eyes that you see, to love those around us even as we love ourselves? We love you, Father. We give this week to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.